This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day, this is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures with another edition of our Digital Leadership Podcast Series. Today, it's my distinct pleasure to introduce Blaine Matthew, our newest member of Momenta Partners. Blaine has helped build numerous high-growth, high-margin businesses as CEO, CMO, and Chief Product Officer at both public tech giants, private software companies, and industrial IoT startups as well. Based in the San Francisco Bay Area, he's worked across North America, Europe, and Asia. He's known for his passion for AI, IoT, and edge computing, speaking at dozens of global industry events. Today, Blaine will speak with us about his experience helping industrial companies take their products and services digital in a ZaaS or X as a service versus S as a service or software as a service business model. Welcome, Blaine. Thanks, Ken. I'm really excited to be here and to help you drive Momenta's advisory business, really in this case focused on startups and small to medium-sized innovators. Really cool. And by the way, I'm also a former Gartner analyst from way back, but don't hold that against me. <laughs> so as, as with many of our pad, podcasts, there is a bit of a backstory to our relationship as, uh, as you and I did a first edition of this podcast several weeks ago, which was never yep. published. Uh, little did, did you know or, or we know at the time that we were probably interviewing each other. And, uh, and so uh, as it turns out, uh, we liked the podcast so much, we hired the guy, or maybe he liked the, the uh, formatting of the podcast so much, he, he decided to join us. But either way, welcome aboard, Blaine. It's great to have you uh, aboard. So Thank tell me you. a little- I think, I think podcast as an interview is actually a new methodology we should, uh, we should get out there on the market. That's a great idea. I love it. That that is a new normal. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so so tell us a little bit about your background and experience, which has really shaped your views of digital industry. Well, it's it's really interesting. You know, most recently, I was chief marketing and product officer, as you said, at industrial IoT and AI platform company Vantic. That's with a V. And you know, Vantic's clients included companies like Francis Total, the China State Grid, the Japanese telecom giant SoftBank Corp, SoftBank Corp, and and many others. And uh, and that was really the culmination of you know almost a decade and a half, I guess, of of working in companies that were trying to push uh, you know something as a service, in particular with in Vantic's case, platforms as a service. Prior to that, I was a company called Good Data, which was big data analytics as a service, and. And, uh, and, you know, I could really see, you know, six or seven years ago that IoT for sure was just finally starting to begin to come into the real world. Of course, the resurgence of AI and machine learning. And, uh, you know, that brought me through good data to Vantic and, and fundamentally brought me to Momenta and the ability to help advise companies how to use those technologies, put them through innovative business models and take them to the industrial world. So it sounds like an interesting culmination to end up at Momenta. Why, uh, why Momenta? 
Well, you know, the, the, the thing that really got me excited about Momenta, besides this interview via podcast model that, you, that you've started, is, uh, you know, the, the digital industry focus that you've got. So most, you know, VC firms uh, and, and advisory firms like Momenta, and I'll talk more about that in a second, are fairly general in nature. Maybe they focus on B2, you know, B2B use cases or B2C, more consumer-oriented use cases. But one thing I really loved about Momenta was this focus on digital industry, right? It's it's use cases and sectors around energy, manufacturing, smart spaces, smart cities, supply chain, logistics. So very focused and virtually all the companies we work with utilize some, you know, some elements of IoT, AI, or perhaps blockchain, and probably uh, in many cases, a combination of all of those things and their solutions. So an industry focus. So the people at Momenta are industry experts and practitioners in those spaces. They, they're not generalists. They know the spaces very well. And then the second main, you know, thing that I just love about Momenta was the leverage model between the three practices. Uh, practices of Momenta, the advisory group, which I'm in, the talent group, and the ventures practice. And certainly in the world of, of startups and small to medium-sized innovators, the leverage between those is very high because, you know, you've got an advisor coming in helping to shape or reframe their strategy, which could very well lead to them requiring uh, to hire a new senior executive, a CMO or a CRO or a chief product officer or someone else. And then a Eventually, that would help them get funded through the ventures practice. So the leverage between these three uh, practices coming together in one firm is really incredible. You know, it's uh, it's interesting um, because our topic today is is ZAS uh, X as a service, if you will. Um, many people have referred to Momenta as Corp Dev as a service uh, in some mm. sense because of our venture side. On the advisory side, we're doing uh, M and A work, and of course, you know, always placing key talent along the way. So, uh, pretty interesting because in, mo- in many ways, Momenta has also gone through this uh, this ZAS journey. So, for Absolutely. those of you who might not be familiar with the term. What is ZAS? Well, ZAS, and as you said, it's I'm spelling that as X. AAS. The X stands for something or anything. Obviously, AAS is as a service. And think of this as primarily a business model. Okay. Some people confuse ZAS with, with a technology model. And ZAS fundamentally is enabled by technologies, especially cloud computing, but certainly IoT and, and other types of new technologies enable ZAS models. But ZAS is a business model. And fundamentally, the business model is about how do you, is about enabling your customers to subscribe to the solution delivered over time. Some people colloquially refer to this as renting the, the use of the solution as opposed to buying it upfront and then owning it uh, yourself and, and you know running it yourself, right? Now this was popularized initially with SaaS, uh, software as a service. You know, Salesforce especially began in 1999, you know, popularizing the concept of software as a service. But now the business model is being widened to include many different types of as a service businesses. It's interesting. One of our uh, startup companies, Mutable, describes themselves as Airbnb for servers. Uh, in essence, yes. uh, elastic, if you will, computing at the at the edge. Um, and so it's a it's pretty interesting model as you look across how how ZAS has uh, has interacted with uh, with all domains. 
Give me a sense of the different types of ZAS that are relevant to digital industry. I, I think, you know, it, you, you mentioned Salesforce, so it starts off as a spectrum from there and, you know, continues to today. Yeah, certainly, you know, SaaS is where what most people still think of in technology circles as being an as-a-service business model. But over the last few years, as you said, with Mutable, almost almost every type of technology product is now being delivered as a service. Uh, probably the next most popular category are uh past platforms as a service or maybe infrastructure platforms as a service. We've all heard of obviously AWS, Azure, Google platforms. Those are offered as a service to their clients. And then you have more niche focused platforms like the Vantic platform I was talking about earlier. Uh, we are increasingly seeing in industrial settings uh, products as a service. It could be PR, AAS, product as a service, you know, GE's jet engine, power by the hour models, or machine as a service models in manufacturing. So we're starting to see those kind of models. Uh, another really interesting category of ZAS is our data-based products as a service or data as a service. Uh, when I was at Good Data, actually, we were working with a lot of large enterprise companies on what uh, what we called enterprise data monetization, taking you know the corporate exhaust that is put off about all the data they are generating. And now I'll tell you, this is really being accelerated by IoT with all the data that IoT devices and sensors are putting off. There's a tremendous amount of value in that data, and if you can sell that data as a you know package it and sell it as a product, as a service, a data based product as a service to your clients, there's huge uh, value there and more and more companies are seeing that. The next level of that is putting analytics on top of it, analytics as a service on top of that data. And then finally, if you want to get really fancy, you could even uh, repackage it as insights or intelligence as a service. So those are some of the different types of, of as-a-service business models. There's one thing that maybe we can get to later if we have time. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of in a category of its own, but this notion of outcomes as a service. But let's, uh, maybe we'll, re we'll come to that later. That's, uh, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one to cover because we, we hear a lot about uh, outcome-based um, um, yes. uh, automation, if you will, these days and service models. So yes. why, why should companies consider adopting or shifting to a ZAS model? Well, you know, like I said earlier, the, a lot of these new technologies, especially IoT, AI, cloud computing, mobile computing, are really enablers of these new business models in a way that weren't nearly as possible uh, before. But probably the, the, you know, the key reasons businesses should consider it is, first of all, you, we know businesses are trying to shift from, you know, in many cases, CapEx to OpEx. Right. So and as a service business models enable companies, clients, instead of, you know, doing a huge investment to capital cost investment up front, they can, you know, put that expense into a gradual operating expense over time. And what that means is there's a real alignment of economic value between the, the, the seller of the as a service model and the buyer. So normally the buyer puts a huge investment up front and then they gradually, you know, uh, uh, get the value that they achieve the value from that investment, you know, over time, maybe over a course of years. But when an, with an as-a-service business model, the buyer pays over time and just in line with how they achieve value. So there's a much greater alignment of, of that economic value. 
Now, from the seller perspective, uh, it's it's a great model because you have more predictable revenue streams, a lot less lumpy revenue. So, you know, many enterprise sales cycles, you get a you know a huge revenue hit, and then you have long deal cycles, and it may be a long time before you get the next one. With as a service business models, less lumpy, predictable revenue streams. As long as you have a good service, you get you have stickier customers. And, uh, you know, these are fundamentally some of the reasons why public markets in particular and, and private private buyers as well value companies that have as a service business models higher in many cases than those that don't. What are, what are some of the key challenges in becoming a, a ZAS business? Well, you know, it's it's a good question, and I've spent a lot of my career working with companies large and small to either create new ZAS businesses from scratch, which in, in fact may be easier in some cases than trying to transition an existing uh, business, and we'll, we'll talk about that. And we know Momenta knows very well that, uh, you know, we're often brought in because digital transformation initiatives often have, have failed, frankly, right? You, you know that. And a transition to something as a service business model is probably one of the most complex digital transformation projects. We think of digital transformation as being about technology, but often, as you know, the technology is, the, is not the hardest part, right? With all the services and everything that are being provided out there today, it's about how do you transition the business itself and the business model. So that is definitely a challenge. And I'll, I'll say, to directly answer your question, it is very hard to fundamentally run two different business models at the same time for any company. You know, the organizational motions around as a service models are so different than, than non-SaaS models. Uh, the sales mindset is, is quite different. You know, with SaaS, it's about selling an ongoing engagement, maybe landing and then expanding over time. Whereas the the sales uh, motion in a non-SaaS business is to you know sell these big deals upfront, get that massive contract, maybe sell a maintenance agreement on on the back end of it. But very different sales mindset. Same with marketing, right? Marketing in a SaaS business becomes more about you know, retention, customer attention, and customer growth becomes, if not the main purpose of marketing, equally important in, with, to marketing as the initial customer acquisition is. Very different mindset. And then, uh, you know, finally, I would say customer success is is so critical, that function in ZAS businesses. In non-ZAS businesses, customer success, customer support, as it used to be called, was just often thought of as a cost center. It's something you have to do and and you know to to uh, to keep to keep your customers. But in as a service business models, it's absolutely critical because you're not selling them something, uh, set it and forget it. You're selling them an ongoing service which needs to deliver value over time, and that's fundamentally why most of these organizations have been renamed to customer success organizations because it's about the success of the customer over time with the service that you're providing over time. It's interesting when you talk about uh, challenges, we finished a uh, digital transformation project for a very large industrial manufacturer uh, publicly held um, late last year. And uh, the chief digital officer, who by the way, didn't doesn't really want to take the title chief digital officer, um, <laughs> would sp specifically said, 
please don't talk about you know our industry as a service when uh, when you were presenting this. We're fine about talking efficiency, and we're kind of <laughs> fine about talking about uh, new value lines and new business lines, but but we don't want to cross that line. And yet it was interesting because the questions from you know from the uh, the stakeholder audience always came down to should we move to you know X as a service where X is our service. So it's uh, it, it, it's interesting the cultural element of that adoption and moving to that, especially if you're a large capex manufacturer, uh, you know, as, yeah. as, as many of these are today. As, as we're recording this, we're in week two of the, uh, the COVID lockdown, and uh, both Blaine and I were involved in uh, CEO roundtables over the last couple of days uh, for our portfolio of companies, i.e. bringing all the CEOs together to, to discuss best practices around how to, uh, how to th- uh, survive and thrive during this time. And one of the, the um, uh, points that did come out is about how relevant these uh, uh, ZAS models are going to be relative to making a, a big purchase of a, a platform up front versus trying something out now, especially because the adoption cycles are much more rapid given the high sense of urgency and need, especially for remote control of, uh, of applications and such. So, uh, you know, it's interesting, very timely uh, topic given uh, given the macro environment as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Can You know, as we heard over the last week, uh, you know, most of these companies are very happy that their business models have enabled them to get, you know, constant steady streams of revenue over time versus relying on these you know, massive uh, revenue hits, which could very well be delayed right now while everyone is more or less locked down. So, you know, steady, constant revenue streams, sticky customers, that's, you know, that's fundamentally what the ZAS business model is all about. Now, the flip side of that, though, to to actually to now that you remind me is, uh, you know, there are definitely you know, rev rec issues and especially for public companies, obviously, and cash flow issues, because at the same time, you have the advantage of that sticky continuous revenue stream. In the old model, you were get you were recognizing revenue up front and probably is also importantly to some companies, you were getting most of the cash up front. Now, both the rev rec and cash flow, you know, comes in over time. And the fact that it's steady is good. But the fact that you don't have it all sitting in your bank up front means you do have to really think through, uh, you know, some of your corporate policies in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. So beyond the the items you mentioned earlier, what are some of the additional requirements for successful ZAS and and really thinking around some of the, the financial models as well? Yeah, well, certainly, you know, if it's not obvious by now, you need a deeper than ever understanding of your customer to go to one of these models because you're not selling it and forget it or install forget. This is an ongoing service you're you're providing them, which you're probably, well, not probably, you're certainly continuously changing, enhancing because you want to keep these customers sticky to make them long-term, long-term customers. So understanding their needs is not a one-time thing. It's a continuous thing. And obviously, you know, most SaaS companies, frankly, are using net promoter scores and and many other tools to, to understand their customers more deeply. Along with that is, you know, something that, again, pretty well every corporate as, as well as startup 
is talking about these days and many are using is about, it's fundamentally about agility, about being an agile organization, if not actually using agile scrum methodologies with sprints, uh, short-term sprints to, to continuously enhance and launch improvements to your ZAS uh, product or solution. If you've got a model which is, again, about architecting big bang releases or upgrades or enhancements to your product, you know, on, you know, once a year, or once every couple of years, that's probably not going to be amenable to, uh, you know, a ZAS model. You have to be very agile and lean. At the same time, a failure mode that I have seen with ZAS companies, especially selling into enterprises with enterprise clients, is uh, being too agile, you might say, doing too many releases, constant change, you know, especially large organizations, corporates, especially in digital industry, can only absorb so much change, right? The pace of change can only be so fast. So there has to be a very good balance there. And that's why understanding the customer, again, is absolutely so critical. And then the final thing I guess I would talk a little bit about is pricing and and pricing model becomes really interesting in ZAS business models. And what you really fundamentally have to do is, is price more than ever before based on the value delivered. You know, not on just some some arbitrary factor, but again, really trying to understand the customer, understand the value the value that you're delivering, and price based on that value or the outcomes uh, that your service is delivering. Which brings up a great topic. So earlier you mentioned outcomes as a service, which is a pretty <laughs> intriguing term. Tell me a bit more about uh, what you mean by that. Yeah, that's it, you know it amazes me that more hasn't been written on this topic. And later, I think we're going to talk about book recommendations later. But I'm going to recommend a book called B4B, written in 2013, which was fundamentally about how to move your non-as-a-service business toward becoming an as-a-service business, and then finally toward becoming an outcomes-as-a-service business. If if you're interested in this topic, whether you're a large or small company, I highly recommend uh, you read that book. And you mentioned earlier and I have to I have to give Momenta credit and obviously nothing to do with me Momenta's done a lot of writing on you know the uh, outcome based pricing and outcome based business models and uh, and as I was researching Momenta and reading through a lot of the past thought leadership work that you've done and, and analytics work that you've done it struck me how uh, Momenta has been on the leading edge of thinking around outcomes as a service I'm sure it's part of the reason I'm here so fundamentally what the concept is is Instead of, you know, just paying to rent the product or, the, you know, or the solution over time as a service, which is what we've been talking about fundamentally, with outcomes as a service, you, you pay for the outcomes of that product or service over time. You pay not for the solution itself. It's not about renting the solution on a monthly year, you know, basis. It's about renting whatever the outcomes of that service are. And fundamentally, you're, you, what you pay for and the pricing model has to be based on those outcomes. So let, let me give you an example, a simple example that we, I think could all resonate with us. In, uh, you know, let's take healthcare. Right. In a non-ZAS world, which is mo where most of us are today with healthcare, you pay for doctors or medicine as you need them. Maybe, you know, maybe assisted by an insurance plan, but you sort of pay as you go with, with the help of insurance, hopefully. Okay. The ZAS version of that model is, uh, think of it as similar to belonging to an HMO 
where you have you know minimal to no copays or other costs, you're you're getting healthcare as a service for your you know one thousand or three three thousand dollars a month. You're getting the you know the healthcare as a service on a continuous basis. That's that's the as a service healthcare model. Outcomes as a service is you know what is increasingly being talked about. Where instead of paying the provider just to provide healthcare services, imagine if you could pay the provider based on your overall health quality. Okay, and in fact, imagine that as your health quality declines, perhaps adjusted for age factors, the um, the amount you pay might go down. As your health quality increases, the amount you pay would go up over time. So you're actually paying for healthcare outcomes as a service. That would be an outcomes as a service model in the healthcare space. Now it's probably I can, a losing proposition yeah. in the world of COVID. <laughs> well, it's a it's a really a really good point. Yeah, there are yeah. there could be external shocks to the business model, and that's again that's actually a very valid point because obviously COVID is uh, you know is an exceptional situation. But as you're thinking through these business models and and the pricing models, even regular as a service models, let alone outcomes as a service models, you definitely need to think through externality. And, and those kind of factors because they can have a material impact on, on business. doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing them because the benefits of these models, as we've discussed a little bit, are very strong, but you still you have to think through the, the possibilities and, and exigencies. Now, maybe to, to bring it to our space in industrial, I can talk about an, a more industrial example. So suppose, uh, let's take, uh, you know, electricity grid uh, management and pow power management. Suppose in the non-ZAS world, a supplier or a group of suppliers sells hardware and, and now increasingly software solutions for electrical grid management. And maybe there's some annual pay-as-you-go or maintenance fees attached with that, but there's a huge upfront cost. The ZAS version of that is a vendor, you know, renting that complete solution to the utility. Now, fundamentally, though, the, the solution is still run and optimized by the utility itself. They're just renting the infrastructure and, and, and the software and hardware, and again, probably from multiple vendors in order to, to run that system. Now, think about what that could mean in, in an outcomes as a service model. Instead of paying for the, the system or the solution over time, the utility might pay, you know, a turnkey supplier for the megawatt hours produced, right? They don't really care how the system is run. They're probably not even running it themselves. They're paying for the outcomes. And, uh, you know, an extension of that might be if the utility pays the supplier, maybe maybe their rate would be based on a shift to renewable megawatt hours over time, which is a public policy initiative that is being that is being pushed uh, by the government. So maybe the rate that they pay perhaps could be could vary based on again uh, renewable power that is being generated or the shift to renewable over time. That would be an outcome based business model attached to you know the production of electricity. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it reminds me of, uh, of course, you know, good old Rolls Royce back at the uh, beginning of the decade and uh, the uh, power by the hour model, right? That they they pushed very heavily at the time. Um, I, I guess are there examples when it comes to manufacturing? Yeah, well, absolutely. In fact, we're seeing and we're seeing some of this even in uh, in the Momenta portfolio companies that uh, that you know being able to. Uh, rent turnkey solutions uh, for running manufacturing lines, or in many cases, it's running certain elements of the manufacturing process. We're not seeing so much in complete end-to-end, end-to-end uh, end systems yet, but 
promoting some of those solutions as uh, outcome-based services. Uh, for example, basing the pricing model on you know operating margins of that manufacturing line over time. So the goal is to achieve a certain level of output, add a certain operating margin, and the price the price that is fundamentally paid varies with the operating margins that are being delivered. We're starting to see some of that. So it sounds like great benefits in terms of moving to uh, outcome as a service, and certainly both from the the supplier and from the uh, the end users of these systems. Do you have any final tips for companies considering ZAS models? Well, yeah, just you know, and a few of them I've touched on, but it it can be, as you can imagine, it can be very difficult to pilot a business model. Right, you can pilot a technology, right, and and you know many of Momenta's clients are are doing many digital transformation initiatives, and they're running pilots and POCs. It's very hard to pilot a business model, but you know, especially for a large corporate, consider launching you know your as a service business model as an internal service first before going outside. And and many large organizations ha actually have the accounting models to be able to sell services to other parts of the organization. So while it can be hard to pilot external you know, you could even do an internal pilot of this business model before doing an external launch. Another, you know, tip for as-a-service models is, that I didn't mention it, it earlier, but another benefit of as-a-service is over time, you know, margins can be very high because you're delivering this service repeatedly, hopefully to many customers, and, uh, and margins can be increased versus doing these one-off big bang implementations. But that only works if you standardize the offering as much as possible. All right. So go in with the mentality that, yeah, the first couple of implementations, you're going to learn a lot. They may be sort of semi-custom systems, but the fundamental goal is to create a standardized, repeatable something as a service that you can push out to numerous clients. That will drive the margins that you're looking to get out of this thing and, and the growth. I've also seen, having done this a number of times now in companies large and small, always assume the learning curve is going to be steeper than you think. The runway is going to take uh, longer than you think uh, than you think it's going to take to get there because you don't even know what you don't know at, at this point in time. Obviously, you know, we companies like Momenta can help because we've been down this road, you know, many, many times, but you are going to learn new things, especially as you get closer to your customers than ever before. And so you need the runway to be able to, to ultimately achieve the goals. In many cases, I've found a success uh, mode is when you have a separate business unit with a clear mandate around ZAS. As I said before, it's very challenging to be running two very different business models in the same business unit or you know in the same company is fine but in the same bu very very difficult because so many aspects of running this business are different so you know separate them out have super strong executive commitment to the effort because the payoff is big but the journey you know is challenge can be challenging and uh, and then i guess the final thought on on tips and tricks is and we've heard this before but culture eats strategy for breakfast Right. And, and what I mean by that is a business model is great. Digital transformation. Again, we're all experiencing that right now. But in many cases, it boils down to the ability and willingness of your people to execute you know, against that model. I had a really interesting discussion with uh, a group of, I was actually hosting a panel of the largest airlines in the US talking about their implementation of some of these new technologies and, and models. And uh, there was really a lot of enthusiasm for, you know, uh, the power 
by the hour models, the field service as a, as a service uh, models that are that are being brought to brought to brought to the airline industry, enabled by a lot of these new technologies. But the biggest stumbling block they've had so far is around the acceptance of of their employees. Of, of the people in the airline to actually use these new services, use the new database, database real-time technologies that are coming out. That's the big challenge. It's not even a business model challenge or a technology challenge. It's a people challenge. And so you have to think about those efforts as well. Yeah, well said. Uh, one of our uh, former clients uh, was a large manufacturer of uh, jet engines, and of course, they were being able to monitor these remotely as part of their uh, their their offering. And what they started to do with the analytics is be able to um, um, cross-reference the performance and thus life of the engines to specific pilots. And you can imagine how that went over with uh, with uh, the uh, union organization representing those pilots. So uh, there there are there are many different ways that you can uh, create value and uh, and disruption in these uh, in these models so absolutely now i guess the thing that i would just ask you know large corporates and and uh, industrials uh, to think about is again it's not a coincidence that almost i think virtually all of the 30 or so momenta portfolio companies these startups and small to medium sized innovators that that uh, momenta has invested in are using something as a service models today right it there there must be a reason for that you know there there clearly is a reason i think it's it's inevitable that 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 business model will be taking over a lot of how we provide services and solutions to the industry i know we, we were talking earlier about you know site machine which is modeling analytics for manufacturing as you know as a service rev2 with field service as a service i talked about that a little earlier in, in the context of airlines so again it's not a coincidence there must be a reason that virtually all you know, new tech companies with, uh, you know, transformative, in some cases, disruptive technologies are running as a service business models. And, and that's why I think large corporates need to really figure out how to get with that as well. Yeah, well said. It, it certainly is descriptive of our investment thesis, which probably biases that set as well. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah, so you, you mentioned earlier um, an interesting book, B4B. Do you have um, any other relevant books or uh, other materials you might recommend for our listening audience? Yeah, absolutely. B, B4B by J.B. Wood. It's a 2013 book. You can get it on Amazon. Highly recommend it if this topic is, is interesting to you. And it actually, as I said, takes you through the full journey of, you know, what it means to be a non-as-a-service business, sort of where many business models are today through something as a service and then all the way to outcomes as a service creates a roadmap for you. You know, I use it in my consulting work as a great guide to help clients think through uh, these transitions. Another one is uh, an, an oldie but still a goodie, Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. And I know, you know, many people certainly in the startup world have read it. Everybody has read it at one point or another. Everybody's read it once. <laughs> and and what I find is you literally have to and should be rereading that book every couple of years or certainly every time you do a significant or thinking about doing a significant business model transition because it's not only about, you know, the early market and how you, you know, transition to, to later more mainstream markets but it actually helps walk you through every stage of that trend of that transition and transitioning to an as a service model is a critical uh, business model transition. So highly recommend reread if you've already read it, 
Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. And then finally, I actually wrote an ebook on driving revenue growth, how to profit from the new ZAS model a few years ago. It contains a lot of the content that we've been talking about today. I think I probably will release a, an update via Momenta here at, in the not too distant future. But if you're hungering to, to get some of this content right now, check it out. And I know there will be a link to it in the, in the posting for this podcast. Thank you very much, Blaine. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, this has been uh, Blaine Matthew, our uh, advisory partner with Momenta Partners. And, uh, and welcome again officially, and thank you so much for the time. And we look forward to continuing the conversation in our Digital Leadership Podcast Series. Thank you very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank you, Ken. It was a lot of fun, and I'm very glad to be here. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of prior podcasts, webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.